0: Greetings, little one.
1: Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife.
0: What makes you think she is a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. A newt. Wouldst thou like
1: to live deliciously? Not better. Dost thou comprehend?
0: Welcome to real magic. Podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll
1: get you mine pretty and your little
0: dog too. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Real Magic Podcast. Thank you for joining us again on this lovely Friday. It's Friday for you. It's Friday for me. Um, I'm so excited for our episode today. We are talking about Rosemary's Baby because the Satanic Panic has once again been in the news lately, thanks to QAnon and Lil Nas X and all sorts of stuff. So I'm really excited to talk about that with our guest Peg Alloy. Now. Peg is a writer, activist, film critic, and TV critic. She's also an academic and a bunch of other things, singer, poet, gardener, and a practicing witch. And she got my attention with her wonderful site, The Media Witch, and called The Witching Hour, and her great thread that went viral about Rosemary's Baby and its role in the satanic panic. So we're happy to have her. But first, I have promised to read reviews on the air when we get them. And so we have a review um, that was left on Apple Podcasts by Crone Medicine, who is one of my favorite listeners and favorite people. And she said, this shows magic, meaning, culture, and wonder. Your host, Jessica Mason, is a polyglot of pop culture and a polymath of witchcraft. She brings classical training and abundance of lore, including 100 years of cinema to her subjects. Start with episode one. For the background, list episode nine, Frozen. You'll hear her passion, humor, knowledge, and singing voice. Um, from the Kaliak to Gail, Psyche to Hans, Christian Anderson, Olaf to the Kashuk Records. It's all right here. Thank you so much, Crow Medicine. Um, I love you and thank you for listening. And if anyone else wants to re- leave a review, you can um, do so and I'll read it online and it will make me blush. But here we go with our episode on Rosemary's Baby talking with Peg Aloy. So thanks for listening
1: there were covens in europe that's what they're called the um the, the congregation covens in europe in america and in australia and they have one right here that whole bunch the parties with the singing and the flute and the chanting those are espas or sabbaths i mean, whatever don't get they're excited huh? read what they do guy they use blood in their rituals and the blood that has the most power is baby's blood
0: and- well welcome peg alloy is it am i pronouncing that right Yes. Aloy. All right. Welcome, Pick Aloy, to the Real Magic podcast to talk about Rosemary's Baby, a fun, cheerful spring movie. <laughs> um the the first thing I always asked my guest before we get into the you know background or the movie is when you were a kid, what was the movie that you saw that made you like believe in magic? What was the movie that was like your gateway drug to oh witchiness. i know
1: i know exactly what it was it wasn't so much a magic witchcraft movie it was a historical type witchcraft movie it's this made for tv film called Crowhaven haven farm Ooh, uh, i've never heard of lang it's it was made in 1970 okay and it's this um it might've been a theatrical release, but I'm pretty sure it was made for TV. It's this film about a woman who is a descendant from one of the witches at Salem who was executed. Nice. And she believes that she's been reincarnated somehow. And she starts having these weird visions of the people in her town, kind of seeing them, sudden glimpses of them in puritanical dress, kind of, you know, oh pilgrim dress. And then suddenly it turns in this weird thing where she's reliving the trauma of Salem and they they press her like they did Giles Corey they put a a door on her and press her with stones oh my and gosh when you watch it now it's really kind of cheesy you know how a lot of 70s yeah. horror is very dated but when I was a kid that just like just slammed into my consciousness and I blame that film for um my obsession with witchcraft which I was obsessed with from a historical and then an occult perspective for a lot for a long time, it, starting right when I was very small, and in my my forthcoming book that that is going to be in my introduction as like this is the movie that started it all. Really. Oh wow! Now, do you still like have like a copy of it somewhere? It's got to be hard to find. I it see. is hard to find. Um, I think I when I have looked around for it once in a while, you see like a. I think you it's it probably on YouTube, on YouTube or yeah. something I like, like that. Um, I think once, one time I did see someone had a VHS copy that they taped from the TV. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that, that Amazon Prime has been putting quite a few occult sort of uh, satanic exploitation-y type horror films from the 60s and 70s uh, in their library in recent months. And that one might show up. Maybe, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. No, I take it back. I saw it recently. I can't remember. I don't know. Was it? streaming somewhere or was on Criterion or I don't even know but I watched it again oh recently. wow
0: maybe like on Shutter or something or-
1: maybe it was you know I wish I could remember um and it kind of held up okay. <laughs> you know kind of kind of what I remembered oh yeah this is as cheesy as I remembered it being but of yeah. course when I was however old I was which is probably around eight or nine or whatever when I saw it um of course I found it terrifying and found it very realistic and found it very you know
0: um, very soon like there's it. a movie coming to streaming that I have it's one it's a movie like that for me where it's like I think I dreamed half of it. It was very mm. weird, but for me it's it's the Ewok adventure movie. <laughs> Do you remember these? <laughs> and there's a witch I- in it. And like, that's I why it sticks so. out in my mind that there's like a witch, a space witch in the Ewok oh, wow. movie and it's coming to Disney that. plus and I'm terrified to rewatch it. Cause I'm like, I know it's going to be bad, but yeah. I remember loving it when I was like five and saw it on the Disney channel. <laughs> so before we talk about this movie, let I want to talk about it a bit about like your background. So mm-hmm. you have a blog, a uh, website called Media Witch, right?
1: That, uh, well, am the, I getting the, the website blog, right? The blog is called The Witching Hour. Hour, and the okay. URL, it's had a number of different addresses. Like it mm-hmm. started out on Blogger and then it was on the Patheos yeah. uh, blogs for a while. And now it's on its own domain at themediawitch.com. Okay, so I had that right. Right. And then The Media Witch is just this goofy nickname I have for myself that's in some of my social media. But the, the blog is called The Witching Hour. And the book I'm working on is also called The Witching Hour until someone right. tells me to change the title.
0: That sounds like I'm really excited to read this book. And I'm just, when I saw, when I found you, I'm like, oh, it's another witchy media critic person. I'm like, yay, (laughs) it's more of us. us. So
1: now do you identify as a witch or a magical witch? I do. I've been a practicing witch uh, probably since around, I don't know, 1990 or so. And joined joined a coven in Boston around the year 2000. And um don't really see much of them anymore because I live in New York now, but oh, yeah, yeah so. you guys aren't even allowed
0: to like have friends in Boston, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I, yeah. it's, um I mean, I think that the coven, I haven't gone to any of their meetings in a long time because I moved <laughs> a few years ago, but during the pandemic, um, they've been meeting on Zoom, you know, yeah. which, and I actually wrote an article about that um, for Insider about witches meeting, you know, in uh, electronically during the pandemic, but that, doesn't really do it for me i um i try to you know lessen my activities <laughs> over zoom if i can so um uh yeah. but i guess they're still they're still meeting that way you know i it's that it wouldn't and i understand why people want to do that um yeah
0: it just diff- it's different for different way. people like i know yeah. for some people like the zoom part like the zoom birthdays or the zoom classes are like mm-hmm. better for them and like i can't do like zoom cocktail hours it's just
1: no, I have a weekly I Zoom with my, my college friends and that's been great because a lot of us have rebonded after, you know, we went to school together. We graduated in like what 1985 or whatever. And it's kind of amazing that we're talking once a week now. But we most of us stayed in touch over the years. And but you know, I have other groups of friends that do a weekly thing or a bi-weekly, and I'm just not I can't do too much of it. I have to be on the computer for work most of the day. And I'm Yeah, same. I'm not, I'm not that uh, I'm but I'm grateful for technology being able to keep us all linked up yeah you know so that's really cool and i
0: can't wait to read your book i want an advanced copy when you have it
1: out (laughs) oh absolutely um just just (laughs) to give you a little uh, yes but my background i mean um i i started sort of writing about witchcraft in films and tv back when i was working with the witch's voice which a lot of people know as witch vox
0: oh my god that was like the website
1: it In was. The 90s. Oh my! It now was now
0: I'm starstruck. I'm like, "Oh, yeah, you
1: worked for witches!" <laughs> yeah. So I was one of the original co-founders. Oh so Like the third co-founder. For Ren, Ren, and Fritz are are two of my best yeah. friends, and I was friends with them at the time. And they started, initially started this organization called the Witches League for Public Awareness with Lori Cabot, and Fritz was uh, getting was getting into being a web designer. So he created a website. The original URL was CelticCrow.com. Which I thought was funny. Exactly. And then when they decided Remember this yeah, I just very, very briefly 1995 or something. He, exactly. And then he turned it into, then they decided to form their own thing, just Ren and Fritz together. And, they they made it Witch Fox, the witch's voice, and then he did Witch mm-hmm. Fox. And it was, our joke is that the X stands for Xena Rules, because we were really into Xena Warrior Princess at the time. Uh, I
0: remember like reading Xena recaps on Witch Fox. Yes, like, that was one of the, the first day. things
1: that we did. And then so I kind of took on the role of um, writing about media. And there was a lot going on at the time. And you know, like the West Memphis Three, and there was, uh, you know, uh, the X-Files had a lot of witchcrafty stuff. And there were the craft, of course, and yeah. then Charmed and then you know Practical Magic and and all kinds of things um so uh, I was doing a lot of that kind of writing for them and then when uh when I moved to um well not when I moved to Boston but after I've been in Boston a while I was working as a film critic and uh, for the Boston Phoenix and then um I I didn't really write too much about witchcraft when I was in graduate school, but I started doing sort of academic writing and giving giving talks and papers and writing chapters, and I sort of made this little agreement with myself that everything I wrote about would have something about witchcraft or paganism in it, regardless of the topic, and that seemed to fit in well with a lot of things, like my first yeah. conference was travel writing, sometimes it was Celtic studies, sometimes it was poetry, whatever, so I was doing a lot of academic research into contemporary witchcraft and then the study of the contemporary witchcraft movement became a whole academic field and then studying the media texts that go along with that became a whole thing so i just kind of i don't know created this little niche for myself writing about these things and then um in two thousand and five. my writing partner uh, and I hannah johnston um we we wrote a book on um or we co- we edited an anthology of of academic essays on teenage witchcraft in America and England mm-hmm. and um then we we co-organized a conference at Harvard on witchcraft and media and we had like you know, his keynote speakers and we had um like Ronald Hutton came and Fiona horn and wow. uh, yeah, it was really cool and then we did a, a second one a couple of years later and um and then you know, I just kind of kept going along, and then just thing, then things kind of witchcraft kind of died down for a while, and now suddenly, suddenly We're witchcraft. Back is everywhere and it's all over social media and it's on un- nobody's heard of the witch's voice anymore even though as you said it was the thing these youths with their tiktok i know you kids Twitters, and your TikToks and you don't
0: your, understand what it was like Instagram. in 1996 there was one website and it was great
1: it well it was amazing because i mean this thing was was profiled in like wired magazine and it was uh-huh. um you got millions of hits and it was huge and and it was uh just some of the drama. I mean, I mean, someone should write just a whole history of this website. I should probably oh. try to do my best to do it. Yeah.
0: Oh, every every website. I mean, like I'm from fandom, like, and you know, just like mm-hmm. the drama that goes behind, gone behind scenes, like the Leaky Cauldron, Harry Potter website. It's like, it's
1: crazy. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And so like, I'm sure there, you have stories to tell. We had, uh, you know, all this pagan community drama, but of course, it was amplified in the space of the witch's voice Mm -hmm. because, as a nonprofit organization, we were supposed to be helping people who um, it was originally formed for the intent of helping people who were dealing with religious persecution. So, people who had their kids taken away from them in custody battles, businesses that experienced harassment—you know, all kinds of stuff—kids being bullied at school, and so we were at the forefront of, you know, sort of. Um, speaking in a way on behalf of the pagan community. And then there was all this crazy drama of people that wanted attention that were said, you can't speak for the paper. It's like, well, we're not doing that, you know? And then people started creating their own websites. And in the early days there were, you know, like stealing code from the witch's voice website. Like, just do your own thing. Well, because Fritz was such a great designer, but so, and that, then there was a huge proliferation of sites on the web. And that actually fed into Hannah's and my decision to do, she did research on this for her, her dissertation um, of teenagers on the web. This was the only way they could really connect and like buy supplies, buy books. Remember books? Mm-hmm. books I remember, books, but I still have a book thing. buying problem. <laughs> oh, me too. And, and yeah. that's, how, that's how everyone learned about witchcraft back in the day. But now it's just, you know, they see a little recipe on Instagram or a, and then they, yeah. boom, they're practicing witchcraft. And
0: I remember, don't, don't get me
1: started about that. Yeah.
0: You know, I remember, like, when I was first, you know, learning about witchcraft, it was, you know, around 1995. Mm. And I mean, I was in, like, fifth grade, so there there wasn't, like, a lot out there for me. But, like, the first books I had were Scott Cunningham. Mm -hmm. Of course, like, you know, he's so foundational to so many of us, especially who who came into that era. And then, like, I would go to, you know, borders you know art rest in peace borders and there would be you know a witchcraft and metaphysical section i would just like yeah. hang out there oh yeah and, every you know, bookstore everybody and it was you know it was silver raven wolf yeah. and Adam mccoy and oh, uh, garina the early
1: Llewellyn authors
0: yeah all of them and you yeah. know and some of them who knows like some of the stuff i some of these books i still have some of them you know i look at like and it was you know they were just like a witchcraft book and it was just pictures you know yeah. But there was but there was so little information before there were sites yeah, and, like Witchbox and there and, was so much I think, cultural miscommunication.
1: Absolutely. Not. And I think before Cunningham and before that huge wave of pagan sort of 101 type books that came out from Llewellyn, just tons mm-hmm. of them constantly. I think that it, as I recall it, there were certain books pe- that were recommended for, for reading, but a lot of them were much older and it was not just yeah. things by say Gerald Gardner and Doreen Valiente and sort of the modern, you know, proteges yeah. of the witchcraft movement, but going back further, like you're expected to read like the white goddess and you were expected yeah. to read um, certain books by um, archaeologists and certain books by certain historians. And then you're expected to read like the golden dawn. And so the, the immersion of um people who were interested in modern witchcraft their immersion into it often had to do with reading a a huge assortment of of books that had all different kinds of knowledge in them and now I I mean I I miss those days because now it seems like there's very little reading that gets done and when people do read books it tends to be just some contemporary sort of 101 you know how-to thing yeah and
0: yeah I mean and it's hard because, like, like <laughs> a lot of those books were like academically, maybe less than rigorous. We could say. True.
1: Like, so, so Margaret Murray, who was kind of, yeah, exactly. I've written she, about her. Very interesting stuff, but yeah, it was kind of like, debunked, and she, maybe yeah. unfairly. The her male counterparts really went after her. Yeah, I wrote a whole thing about Margaret Murray, and oh, did you? And
0: also, like, yeah, and like you know, like even the archaeological stuff, like Maria Gim- I cannot pronounce her name, Gimbutas. Gimbutas. Yeah, and like the Merlin Stone and the Mm -hmm. idea of like the Neolithic and yeah, uh, Rianne Eisler and Chalice and the Blade, like this stuff Mm -hmm. was really foundational and some of the stuff has been disputed and feuded, but it still was so for me personally, like the Chalice and the Blade and and God was a woman or like foundational for me.
1: And suddenly, you know, since women started finally getting positions in archaeology and getting funding to do research, then all of a sudden all these books start coming out about, hey, early humans were matriarchal Yo yeah and that, and, and, that, and that still
0: gets like pushback mm-hmm. and it's like you know the people like this good we're on a salt tangent but I have a rant here like the the Venus of Willendorf which is one of the most mm-hmm. you know 25,000 years old I've seen it in person in Vienna Ooh. I like cried. Wow. But you know, people are still looking at. They're like, "Well, we don't really know what this means. Maybe it was like a self-portrait of a woman
1: looking down at her body. Yeah, maybe it was, maybe just, it was like, for, used for porn. Maybe carried people like, carried it around like pornography in their pocket. Like, and I it reminds me of porn. like
0: the, you know, the way that historians and archaeologists will look at. A historical record where it's like, well, these two women lived together and were buried together, and you know, said you were they were true loves of each other. But we just don't know if they were lesbians. <laughs> it's like, no, we know you guys are just coming from a, a patriarchal heteronormative <sighs> bullshit point of view, oh, and, exactly. impu- and and you're refusing to like see. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe God was a woman. Maybe they were Harold. They're lesbians.
1: <laughs> oh my God! So. I, yeah, it's. you're you're right to point out that this is still going on and it's still incredibly frustrating
0: but well and speaking of other frustrating you know aspects of paganism and witchcraft is the very long historical association of witchcraft with the big d the devil Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that's what we're talking about today and it's in a really fun context to kind of like for the listeners who are coming in I, I say hello to you in the future if you're listening to this, you know, years from now, or um, or just aren't as online as some of us. We're having another mini satanic panic right now, and it's interesting because it's because of the rapper Lil Nas X put out a music video and song, the songs called Montero, Call Me by Your Name, and it's this really cool video music video. Where like he plays Adam and he plays the snake and it's very homoerotic and it's about him, you know, not wanting to be, you know, put in a box because he is gay and then he goes to hell and gives the devil a lap dance and kills the devil and becomes the devil. There's all this amazing imagery in it and he put out these like Satan sneakers <laughs> with that with like which you know theoretically have, like human blood in them and he's playing into all this like satanic imagery that's in a way that is owning his subversiveness as a queer man and a queer man in hip hop which is even harder right. and it. right. it's, it's all well, fascinating but everyone's yeah. like oh no the devil is back and we're back into the satanic panic again and it's so crazy because this same idea has been burbling for a few years now with QAnon which is this idea that there is a satanic cabal of democrats who use baby blood to right. <laughs> stay young I think but so, let's talk about, and what you, we, the reason we're talking to you is you had a great Twitter thread, and you've some, written some articles about how we can trace a lot of the satanic panic imagery and ideas back to one movie. Mm-hmm. It's like we can trace all the green witches back to one movie. Mm-hmm. this movie, we're talking about is
1: Rosemary's Baby. So, with that introduction, Man. tell us about Rosemary's <laughs> Baby. <laughs> a very good introduction it was. Well, in 1966... <clears throat> A novel written by Ira Levin came out called Rosemary's Baby. Now, I want to just take a moment to mention Ira Levin, who also wrote the novels The Stepford Wives and The Boys from Brazil, both of which were also made into excellent motion pictures. Yeah. Both of which really spoke to certain aspects of the cultural zeitgeist in a really interesting way, particularly The Stepford Wives, which in the original film version, which is a horror film, not a comedy like the remake was, you know, speaks to these attempts to subvert uh, the efforts of women to achieve equality and sexual parity and sort of like just personal autonomy. Uh, it's, I, I'm not going to uh, spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it or hasn't seen the film, but I absolutely recommend it very highly. Yeah. Cause of course these are issues that women are, we're still dealing with, but Rosemary's baby is um, has similar issues in terms of being a, a commentary on, on feminism and on, on, Uh, women's autonomy and so the the basic story is that um rosemary and her husband guy who's an actor he's a struggling actor in manhattan they move into this beautiful apartment on central park west it's in fact was filmed in the dakota which is the building where john lennon lived yeah and the opening of the film zooms into the building by the park and it zooms into their window and kind of goes into their window mm-hmm. and then at the very end of the film it zooms out from their window and out onto the city yeah. and so this is a very interesting cinema cinematographical thing in that it's basically suggesting that these are the people that live next door to you anyway but i'm getting ahead of myself so they yeah. move into this apartment they immediately meet these people who live next door um, they hear some kind of weird noises, and they hear people talking, and then after a couple of days, they meet this old couple in their 80s, mm-hmm. uh, the Castavetes, Minnie and Roman, and they're sort of eccentric and kind of nosy and a little, they're kind yeah. of busybodies. It, and- always
0: re- it always confused me, like, this in my tangent, is like, the guy is played by John Cassavetes? Mm-hmm. And then the neighbors are the Castivets, and I always get
1: yeah. It is you're <laughs> right. It is confusing. Although the yeah. thing is that the cast, the name Castivet was already in the novel, and they kept yeah. it because the name ends up being an anagram. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of anagrams so
1: in here. Yeah, it was important to actually keep that name. But yeah, it is kind of it's ironic that they used they had John Casavettes play that role, and he's perfect for that part. Actually, yeah. then Mia because, Farrow
0: is Rosemary.
1: Yeah, right. And Mia, yes, thank you. Mia Farrow plays Rosemary. Ruth Gordon plays Minnie Castivet, and she actually won an Academy Award for her. uh Supporting acting role. Oh, we'll
0: get into her. I love her
1: in this movie. No, she's she's, a, she's terrific. Hysterical. So in the, in this film, this old couple befriends this young couple. Guy and Rosemary are trying to have a baby, and um, Minnie Castavet takes it on herself to help Rosemary. You know.
0: Yeah.
1: After she, um, you know. It's nice old uh, lady. Finds out next door.
0: You know. Yeah. You have she, have she, a she, she, <laughs> she?
1: gives her little vitamin drinks and little things, mm. and she get she makes her this chocolate mousse dessert. <laughs> She calls a it mouse. It, mouse, yeah, she calls the mouse, and uh, she she makes this dessert, and it's drugged, and it basically, and even though um, Rosemary only eats a small amount of it, she gets dizzy and she falls asleep. That night, she and Guy, her husband, have sex, and she becomes pregnant. Now, in the course of this, there's she has these. Um, she thinks that she's she's dreaming, mm-hmm. and she kind of has this moment of lucidity during the dream where she sta- she's in a room and she's surrounded by these naked old people chanting, <laughs> including yeah. Minnie Roman, and then she has yeah. this, this realization, this is real, this is really happening, and she imagines that she's being fucked by the devil, oh, I'm sorry I used the F word, um, okay, I know how your, your, your rules are for mm-hmm. your, your podcast, and so then the next day and then she she does, can you hear my dog, she's whining, it's, it's okay, we've
0: had many animal, animal co-hosts on here,
1: Maisie, be quiet now, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Mom, I oh, have talking. To say. So, so she wakes up the next morning and the dream has kind of faded. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really remember it, but she has scratches on her back. And she thinks her husband did it. And he says, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I already filed them off. Oh, I'm sorry. And she, she's horrified that her husband had sex with her while she was basically unconscious and doesn't remember it. Yeah. And he says, mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't want to miss baby night. And he's, you know, cause they're, they're prepared, you know, they have to the following her temperature or whatever. So anyway, she's pregnant, she's overjoyed. She goes to the doctor, da-da-da. She starts redecorating the apartment in cheerful pastel shades of, uh, red, you know, baby blue and yellow. Uh, I I do want to mention that if people go back and watch the film again, you'll notice there's a very strong color structure in this film of pale yellow, which is kind of associated with the baby and, you know, all that. But yellow is also associated with fear. And then there's dark red, and then there's also dark blue. And this primary color thing is really interesting because it's on one level, this very um, sort of childlike color palette. Yeah. But at the same time, it's this very, very clear uh, delineation of different things that are going on associated with different influences and in different characters. And another thing they do with the, that had never been done before, Roman Polanski was the director of this film. Another thing that had never been done before and what made this film so uncanny and so frightening to people, even though. It's not this over-the-top horror film. There's no No. physical violence in it. There's not really any supernatural scary stuff. There's no jump scares. There's a suspense film, if anything. yeah, Yeah, it's like a terror film. So Polanski would do this thing where he would be filming something in a room and he would put the camera to one side so you couldn't quite see down like the hallway or into the room. And there was this thing that people noticed in the theaters, like the ushers that were in the theaters would notice that people would lean their heads in their seats trying to see what was going on because- because no one had ever done this, and it's very common in cinema yeah. now, but no one had ever done this before. So anyway, um, in this film, uh, you have that dream sequence where Rosemary thinks that she's being you know, impregnated by the devil or whatever. She eventually starts to learn some strange things about her neighbors. Uh, Minnie gives her a charm, a silver neckla- necklace with a charm that's filled with some strange smelling herb there's a young woman in the building who was also befriended by the cast of vets who mysteriously is found dead they supposedly commit suicide rosemary begins to believe that and she does this partly with the help of an older friend of hers Mm -hmm. Um, their old landlord yeah uh, yeah, no no, it's her friend hutch actually okay just a friend he's just a friend they go to his house for dinner and he's an academic and he's done some research on this guy and there was a book by him and and so she starts sort of looking into it and finds out that they're witches. And then she is somehow convinced that they want her baby. And of course, the way this is portrayed has to do with Rosemary being She's a woman, She everyone thinks she's hysterical and she's delusional, she's paranoid, she's crazy. And then um, the only people that will really believe her are Hutch, her old friend who was mysteriously silenced. She has a dinner party where she invites some of her younger female friends and that's a disaster because she, um, in the midst of all this, her pregnancy has made her very ill. She's very pale. She can't gain any weight. You know, she just looks awful. And her friends are really worried about her. And so it becomes this weird sort of um, sexual politics thing, too, where the women are trying to help their friend and her husband is being a, being a jackass. Very soon after this party, Rosemary suddenly feels better. She has all this pain in her stomach where the baby is and she just suddenly it's gone like magically. And then she's very excited about being pregnant again. So she's really, really afraid early on. And then she has this moment of change and acceptance. And then she's very happy again. And then, sorry, there's my dog barking again. She's afraid of Rosemary's baby. So, excuse me, Maisie. She's actually barking at the cat. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. So, um, as, as the film goes along, uh, the, the increasing sense of paranoia is is very becomes very explicit and you start to realize that everyone in rosemary's life that she's hoping to be able to trust is someone she cannot count on or if it's someone she can trust they're being silenced or removed from her influence so when so she learns she learns pretty early on she can't trust minnie and roman and that they're behind it she realizes she can't trust guy and in fact, guy is in on it
0: mm-hmm. he's in
1: on this plot she thinks she can trust her doctor because her doctor was recommended by one of her friends. So she's got two doctors. She's got a young doctor and this older doctor. So the older doctor is supposed to be the best guy at delivering babies in New York City. She realizes he's in on it. So then she goes back to her younger doctor who she saw initially. And then the younger doctor turns out to be in on it. So she's just it, she just cannot turn anywhere. So there's this terrifying scene towards the end. She's eight months pregnant, you know, or, or more. She's close to giving birth. And she's terrified they're gonna take her baby and possibly kill her. And she can't get away. So she ends up trying she she grabs all the cash that she can out of the apartment and she just tries to escape with her suitcase. And she can't get away, of course. So she ends up having the baby uh, in her apartment with these old people around, you know, these scary yeah. old witches around. And they um you never see the baby. People think that you see the baby. Everyone that sees this movie is convinced that they have seen Rosemary's baby and that it's a terrifying monster. But you that, never, ever see that's the baby. That's one of the
0: most brilliant parts of the movie is like the horror is in your imagination. Like
1: Completely. You, it's and, and all people, in the
0: reactions of how people see it.
1: People imagine that they see the devil in this movie. There's only this moment where his face is superimposed in the dream sequence. But, but you never see the baby. There's a great scene where the old people are sitting around saying, Hail Satan, Hail Satan, Satan lives year one. What have you done to him, you maniac? Satan is his father, not Guy. He came up from hell and begat a son of mortal woman. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Satan is his father. And his name is Adrian. He shall overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples. He shall redeem the despised and wreak vengeance in the name of the burned and the tortured. Hail Adrian So all of Rosemary's paranoia She was right. (laughs) He was absolutely right. She was not crazy. She was not hysterical. Mm -hmm. All the gaslighting, all the like, oh, you're just upset because you're pregnant. It was all true. There was actually a Satan worshipping cult of witches right next door who wanted her baby.
0: Yeah. And the movie is I, it's a really interesting movie because in a lot of ways it's funny. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. like the cast of vets especially, like I said, Minnie is she's really funny and the, oh, there's yeah. a lot of like weird satirical um elements to this movie and it's very much like poking mm-hmm. fun because like these people these satanists witches living next door like they're they're retirees they're not like yeah. scary they're just eccentric people. old people they're, they're like, like old dress new yorkers black. yeah
1: they're not anton Lavey with shaved heads and black robes they're these just old yeah. people they sit around knitting and they you know they're just they're She's just got like you know people. just a new york accent and, and mm-hmm. so like the whole
0: like core of rosemary's baby was about like a lot of the cultural fears going on the sixties and about women and feminism and listening to women and these, how these establishment powers can seem like can actually be the satanic ones and all these, all this stuff that was going on in the sixties. Right. Um, But what you talked about in your threads and your pieces is how that part of it kind of, you know, it's, people still talk about this movie in those terms, but also, but the horror aspect of it and the, satanists living next door and using babies became what people took away from this
1: and 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 also because of what happened afterwards
0: yeah because what happened with roman polanski's
1: right do you want me to mention that
0: yeah let's go into that because that i mean you know you mentioned how this movie was filmed at the dakota and what happened to roman polanski and his wife sharon tate and then what happened to john lennon like there's a lot of like rosemary's baby was cursed Right, and They summon dark powers. There's like, there's right. a lot of connections to very tragic events. So let's go into the tragic event that happened about two years, like it happened a year after well, the. Well, there,
1: there were a number of things that occurred. There was actually a really great article that came out a number of years ago. I think it was from, oh my God, I think there's this website called dangerous minds. Mm-hmm. And they did one of the first pieces that I read that had all the different sort of, uh, coincidences and strange things that occurred. So, um, uh, William Castle, the producer, was hospitalized with serious gallbladder problems. The composer of the film was killed in an accident. There were just some strange things that occurred. But the bi- the really big thing that stands out, and the Dakota was a thing, but also John Lennon was not killed until 1980. So that was a yeah. number of years later. But just about a year after the film was released, it was released in June of 1968, in August of 1969, Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate, the actress, who was eight months pregnant, was murdered by Charles Manson's you know, followers. Yeah. She was murdered uh, in her home with several other people. And the following night, there was another murder in the neighborhood. It was a married couple named LaBianca and Mrs. LaBianca's first name was Rosemary. So this beca- because they happened so close together, one night apart and in the neighborhood, these became known as the Tate-LaBianca murders. And before they were solved before they found yeah. out it was Manson's family f- followers they yeah. were just called these the names so Roman polanski um you know lost his wife and child that night
0: he and was in London when this happened
1: yes exactly he wasn't even yeah. he wasn't even there at the time several years later in 1977 I believe Roman polanski sexually assaulted there's no uh no question yeah, he's yeah. admitted to he, this crime he, he raped a 13 or yeah, 14 year old girl. He sexually girl, right? assaulted a 13 year old girl after yeah. he got her high on quaaludes at a party. <laughs> um, and he, at the time, he was offered a lighter sentence if he would agree to have the trial televised. Now we're used to having trials televised these days. Yeah. We're Ever since the OJ Simpson trial, we're, we're used to that. We've ever been watching the Derek Chauvin trial. We, 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 we see this all the time. This was without precedent at that time. This had never been done, but it was so sensationalized, you know, partly because of that movie, which was still one of the most popular movies that had you know ever ever been released. Um, he said no, and he then went into exile, and he has since lived in Europe, and he cannot return to the United States. Yeah, because he would be it's- he would be extradited. It would be still there on that crime. Yeah, well, he's still there. So and still making movies and still winning Oscars, and I mean, you know, still doing it. Uh, yep. So yeah, but um. So there's that, there's the Roman Polanski thing. So so you've got this yeah. child and, sexual assault associated with Roman Polanski, but you've got, the, the, to go back to the Manson family.
0: Yeah, so, the Manson
1: murder is like,
0: Charles Manson was not a Satanist. He was He was not, they
1: were not even into the occult. They were just, they mm-hmm. were hippies. He was a musician, but, they, you know, but the thing about it, and this, this is kind yeah. of a, uh, I think an important point to make about this is that the fact that, the woman they killed was so closely allied with this director who directed mm-hmm. Rosemary's baby. The fact that this was a cult and that people are unable to sometimes make distinctions between very simple, but similar words like cult and occult. Yeah. So during the, this occult revival that was happening in the United States at the time and which Rosemary's baby was a very powerful expression of, you know, this interest in witchcraft and Satanism and yeah. astrology and you know, everything else. Um, Then you have this cult, a charismatic cult following someone who was, you know, a killer. He didn't physically kill anyone. He got other people to do it for him. This got really mixed up in people's minds. So and the fact that they killed a very, very pregnant woman. So you've got Rosemary Woodhouse in the movie, Rosemary's Baby, a very, very pregnant woman who is pursued by a cult and manipulated by a cult. And they take literally impregnate her and take her baby and are ready to kill her if she doesn't do what they say there's no suggestion that they're going to kill this child. They're kind of lifting up this child and s- celebrating him like his name shall be Adrian. Satan yeah. lives, you know, but this somehow got turned into this idea that there were Satan worshiping cults of witches across America who wanted to kill babies, yeah, not celebrate them and raise them to be great demonic leaders. Like in the Omen, which came out in 1976 where this child is,
0: Fathered by a jackal, they say, and
1: then raised to like take over the world and be a great politician, you know, with six letters and all his names like Ronald Wilson Reagan, you know, whoever. (laughs) Um, So, um, no, but the idea was that there were these cults that wanted to assault young women, impregnate them, get their babies and kill them while they were babies because the babies themselves were somehow delicious or nutritious or like whatever. And, of course, that goes back to the earlier stories about witches from medieval times. Yeah, and also that they the, blood, used, the
0: blood libel about right, Jewish it, exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah, it was
1: that, a whole that, mess. <laughs> yeah, consuming blood makes you younger, and that you know, baby fat was used to make flying white men, all that stuff. So this weird conflation of medieval lore about witches and then the modern cult phenomenon... Where people were killing people, uh, it somehow became all mixed together, and then you have this—the satanic, this idea of the satanic panic that had to do with this underground movement of witches who were you know, kidnapping young women, kidnapping young people, snatching people's babies off the street, forcing women to have babies. And then the women would then give birth. And then the babies were murdered in front of them and sacrificed to Satan and then buried under the floorboards of houses. And this narrative was really out there. So, so much so that the FBI, and then there were some books written about it, this book that later turned out to be a scam called Michelle Michelle Remembers. remembers. Right. This was around like 82, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And this author was featured on all the talk shows and everything else. And you know, um, Geraldo Rivera. You know that great bastion of journalism. He yeah. had these primetime specials where he talked about Satan's underground and devil worship. Oprah Winfrey, who, she featured mm-hmm. this on her daytime shows again and People again.
0: People went to jail and got fired because of this, and there was all this idea that all these daycares
1: right. were like fronts for satanic cults, and right. it was they a day- real fear. And it was very complicated <laughs> because there were a lot of different, a lot of different threads that fed into it. So with the daycare centers, part of the issue there was that there was this new form of therapy that was being used that had to do with recovered memory under hypnosis. So people would be put into under hypnosis and asked to recover certain memories, and the the therapist would ask these sort of leading questions. And then there were also therapeutic and social work techniques that were used on children, which have since been debunked and they're not used anymore asking suggestive questions, like the the whole, the sort of cliche joke about it is show us on the doll where they touched you. Now, ignoring the fact that children are highly suggestible, children Mm -hmm. don't make very good witnesses because they lie very easily, partly because they want to please the adults in the room and partly because they like stories. So they would ask these questions like, did this person touch you? Did they do this? And these, all these people, there's the McMartin case, there were several daycare centers that were shut down. People said, like you said, they went to prison. Because they're accused of doing terrible things to children. Their lives are ruined. And then there were all these stories of babies under the floorboards. And there were all these so called survivors that were going on daytime talk shows saying, Yes, I was in a satanic cult and this is what they did. And the way this ties into modern witchcraft is that people said, Oh, I thought it was innocent. I thought it was just white witchcraft. I thought it was Wicca. I thought it was just witches, but they were really devil worshipers and they were really doing these terrible things. Yeah. So we were, you know, we as witches, and I say we in the pagan community, we're starting to get a lot of this backlash, like people suspecting us of doing these terrible things or accusing us of being, being Satan worshipers. And being accused of being a Satan worshiper is not this terrible thing because Satanists, if you, if you read yeah. the, the, the Satanic Bible or any of Anton LaVey's, you know, he founded the Church of Satan in 1966, yeah. the same year Rosemary's Baby was published. You know, he's, he's just an impresario. He actually tried to spread the rumor that he played the devil in Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> or rather, he did not disabuse anyone of the notion that he played the devil, because there was rumor out there, it was actually an actor, Lucas Tanner, that played the part. But he wanted people to think that.
0: So good publicity. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. For him and his church. So I don't, It at some point, the FBI convened a task force, because these rumors were everywhere. They wanted to find out, my God, if there's really these underground groups of satanic witches
0: mm-hmm. who are
1: killing babies, well, obviously, we need to do something about it. No evidence was ever found. Yeah. And then, then some of these writers, like Michelle, remembers that author. She was debunked. Some of these survivor types were seen as ridiculous. And then, I'm sorry, my dog is screaming. Hold on. <laughs> you. Sorry about that. It's okay. I understand. She, get, she gets cold. Okay, so all these um,
0: there was debunking and FBI investigations, mm-hmm. but this it's like and we're seeing it still today with QAnon. and we saw i mean Mm -hmm. this thing is like the like i said it's blood libel it's the witch trials and flying ointment it's these ideas these fake news that you know you can't disprove Mm -hmm. this stuff because people want to believe in witches they want to believe in you know some evil Mm -hmm. force out there and with Mm -hmm. the um satanic panic in the 80s for them the thing that was also going on right now was whether these recovered memories and daycares, people were discovering actual child sexual abuse. Right. And it was much easier to blame witches and go this crazy direction than yeah. deal with, oh, my brother in law, you know, abused my daughter.
1: Exactly. And it, this uh, you're right that this often, it really was in the family. It wasn't usually yeah. at the daycare, it was just the families. And you also remind me of a really interesting point, which is that if pe- people uh, there's been so many theories and so many scholars that have studied what happened in Salem village to try to determine mm-hmm. why that got so out of control the way it did, why it was centered on these young girls, you know, and there's all kinds of theories about, you know, the social structure of the time and it was about revenge and it was about petty like land appropriation and all these things or the debunked theory about the rotten grain, which the, the, is not, the not, you know, yeah, that's not true. All, they were all on LSD. But one thing that, um, is very likely to have happened is that these girls who were, in, most of them indentured servants, they probably were abused in some way. They were not treated well. I mean, no. one of the most common ways that young women in that time period died in colonial America was they would get infections from burns from working in their kitchens, like their dress would catch fire and they would get a terrible burn and they would die from the infection. Mm-hmm. So life was life was pretty rough for the, for the Puritans. And the idea that they talked about these things that would happen to them and also the fact that they were given a forum to sort of accuse these people who yeah. were you know treating them badly i think that there's it's not it was not out of out of place to say that there were probably instances of actual abuse happening there and that this was a way of projecting you know and of course yeah. there was all this hysteria about witchcraft at the time they brought it over with them from england but i think that you're right to point out that you know when we have these kind of sensationalist and fantastical explanations for human behavior that have to do with witchcraft and that you have that old-fashioned medieval sense of witchcraft and horror movie sense of witchcraft, not peaceful people worshiping yeah. trees and dancing and drumming and singing, we all come from the goddess, you know, but when you try to, to, to make it uh, into this fantastical thing, it takes away from the extremely prosaic truth that people hurt their own children and people yeah. hurt their own, you know, people in their communities. And what we're seeing, you know, with these, this QAnon stuff, it definitely is a second, I don't even a second, maybe it's a third wave. there's, we have had small waves of satanic yeah. panic since the nineties, but this is enormous because these people really are delusional. They are armed to the teeth. And I think that one thing that this is also layered with is the fact that there's been an ongoing effort to, control women's autonomy i mean you're seeing all these there's this ongoing effort to um create legislation preventing women from from exercising their reproductive freedoms yeah, which
0: is the actual theme of rosemary's baby is about exactly. like society trying to con- literally control a woman's body and make her just a uterus yes so you know is there for their the these old people's use to exactly. know, continue their way of life
1: that's exactly right so here we have again you know, these old white men trying to make laws to control women's bodies. And it, it's this, you can say that it's the age old fear of women's sexuality, because it probably is. I mean, let go back to Kramer and Springer, you know, the Maleus Maleficarum, the hammer of witches. And when one of the salient quotes from there is, all witchcraft stems from carnal desire, which is in women insatiable. You know, this fear of the female body, this fear of female sexuality, it, it goes back thousands of years. And we still have, I mean, the the casting of female politicians as witches. This happened quite recently with Governor Whitmer and some other women in uh, Wisconsin. They, they had these these GOP, um, you know, guy, uh, elected official. I can't remember what his name was. He was referring to them as witches and saying they needed to be uh, you know, assassinated and burned at the stake. And he had to apologize for these remarks because it was, you know, it was this terrifying. This is, he's talking about a woman who was, you know, the intended victim of a really serious plot of kidnapping and assassination. Yeah. And then he, then he's going on just, just cavalierly calling them witches. You had Hillary Clinton, you know, numerous memes and cartoons of her made up like a witch, you know, um, Bernie Sanders fans holding these events called burn the witch B E R N, you know, burning her an effigy. And everyone thinks it's just big joke, but you know, it's not funny. And when you call a woman, a witch in that derogatory way, It is an expression of misogyny, and it's an expression of fear. But it's also, you know, it's that thing like Margaret Atwood, author of *The Handmaid's Tale*. Another thing we never thought would look more like a documentary than, you know, Mm it does a fairy tale. But her saying, you know, that that men are afraid that women will laugh at them, and women are afraid that men will kill them, and so that is the thing. Is like, and I, you know, it wasn't enough for men to call women witches and stop them from doing what they were doing. They wanted to torture them. They wanted to kill them in all these horrible ways. You know, there's this deep, deep-seated fear and hatred at work here. And, I, and maybe that sounds a little too, you know, psychological, whatever, but I think we're really, that's what we're really talking about because we're seeing mm-hmm. this, these deep expressions of anger and hatred in our country right now. There's, ang- you know, there's, there's anger at people of color, there's anger at women and the people that are angry at them are delusional, and they have piles and piles of guns and ammunition. Well, like you and talk it's a terrifying about, time.
0: Yeah, and like, you know, we talk about, you mentioned the Malleus Malfa Karam and saying like how women were driven by carnal lust, and that's why you had to kill them when they became witches. And I'm just thinking about like you know, and this is a horrible tragedy that, you know, I want to say right now, like, this podcast and everyone I hope I know stands against hate against the Asian community and yes. the black community. But in the Atlanta shooting, he was, mm-hmm. he's this racist thing was, he was killing these women who were the objects of his lust. Right. And it sounds exactly like something some witch hunter would say it's like, yes, it's like, you know, Frollo in the hunchback of Notre Dame accusing Esmeralda of being a witch because she won't sleep with them. Right. And it's this use of power because, Men see their masculinity as tied to their ability to force women to, Mm -hmm. you know, force their bodies to do what they want, whether to have Mm -hmm. their babies or have sex with them. And when they are denied that or when their masculinity Mm -hmm. is questioned, they respond with violence. And often that is using the institutional structures or Mm -hmm. using the power they have as white men or as armed men to hurt these women. And that's the same thing that happens with so many witch trials is right. women threaten the structure that usually supports these cis white men, straight men.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and you're, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's an excellent parallel to what we're talking about here. And the thing is that um, just this most recent rash of mass shootings, these shooters have all been 21, 22 years old. They're yeah. barely men they're more like children, they're adolescent. And yet they're, they have access to these weapons. They obviously are radicalized in these belief systems. They obviously are encouraged in these belief systems. Probably they're in some kind of 4chan group online, who the hell knows where they get this stuff. But this are, they're just this idea that women are there to serve them that, and Mm -hmm. that if women don't do what they want, they are allowed to lash out at them, and this guy mm-hmm. saying he had to kill those women in Atlanta because they were a temptation to him—like it's their fault that he killed them. It's yeah. it's outrageous and it's heartbreaking and it's um, just so horrifying. And I don't, and I don't want to, you know. I mean, I'm just going to say this: this is going to keep happening. Yeah, no question, it's going to keep happening. Until we get a handle on how to stop it, and there's some pretty obvious ways we could address it. Maybe uh, less guns. That's yeah, let's, that's... maybe the guns. I don't know. Maybe that's a thought. Maybe just you know, mental health isn't going to happen all overnight. So yeah. maybe maybe the guns. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that falls on deaf ears, and that, and it, mm-hmm. it is going to keep happening. And um, I think that we're starting to see more and more women in in politics and places of power, and these women are being you know ridiculed and and having all kinds of anger and misogyny foisted on them as well. So I I think until some real, and I'm not saying no evolution has occurred. I'm not saying there has not been any progress in the human condition or whatever, but it does seem like we should be further along than we are. And it's very interesting to me that there's so much interest and intrigue around witchcraft and, you know, Satanism and the occult these days, I mean, there's such a proliferation mm-hmm. of it in media and t- it's on television, it's in the movies, it's all over the internet, it's all over TikTok, or Witch talk, you know, it's all over Instagram, it's all, it's everywhere, it's in music. And, you know, as we were saying earlier with Lil Naz, which was kind of like the, the catalyst for this conversation yeah. today. And I, that's so interesting to me, because on the one hand, it, it, people are having so much fun with that. Yeah. And it's this, all this great creativity and all this great stuff about magic. And then it was all, the, you know, the whole obsession with ha- the Harry Potter sort of franchise for a few mm-hmm. years and got kids reading again, which was kind of cool. Yeah. And then of course, people want, you know, uh, right-wing Christians wanted to burn all those books because we were indoctrinating our children into witchcraft and, what, and whatnot. So I don't know. Um, I think there's always going to be fascination with witches for a lot of people. And there's always going to be fear and hatred of witches from other people. And that the fact that it's a figure from the dark ages, like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that still resonates. And the fact that even though we have all these um, modern archetypes of witches to choose from, we still are drawn again and again to the fear and the fascination that is inspired by that ancient figure of the witch.
0: Yeah, because it is the fear of a woman in, with power. Mm-hmm. Or fear of an outsider with power, not necessarily a woman, but a marginalized right. person with power, because, yeah. like, you know, with so much of witchcraft and is not just associated with women, but with marginalized people like the slaves, right?
1: Or, no, exactly. Yeah,
0: I mean, like, thinking well, of voodoo and, and, and that sort of thing.
1: Well, and that's but, the other thing, too, that's interesting is that when witchcraft came to this country in the 1940s from Great Britain, it really was kind of a white cultural movement, mm-hmm. and now there's much more interest in, you know, much more diverse sort of expression of it now and and there's also a lot of um crossover with different kinds of traditions like you know um, voodoo and hoodoo and and some other things and i i think that and that's great i think that's really interesting to see and 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 i'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of that especially kind of these um interesting kind of intersectional type youth driven stories like like in um um motherland fort salem i don't know it's if very, you saw yeah. that which i thought yeah. was really terrific um things like that or the new version of the craft or whatever but i think that um what's interesting to me is that we still have this weird dichotomy of the witch where you've got like either the older woman who mm. we're afraid of because she's not sexual anymore or she yeah. is not supposed to be. And then the young temptress woman who's very beautiful, yeah. who wields her sexuality like a weapon and that people are afraid of. So it's like, mm-hmm. you can't win. You can't be a beautiful temptress that people want to have sex with. And you also can't be an older woman who's like a wise healer or whatever that people don't want to have sex with. Like yeah. nobody's happy with who you are. They want to know why they're so they have such a problem with you. Like, is it your knowledge? Is it the fact that you don't, you know, want to give me the time of day? Like, that's what it is. I think it's the, it's the woman that doesn't need you. She doesn't need you to marry her. She yeah. doesn't need you to court her. She doesn't need you to give her anything. She's self-sufficient, whatever. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways it expresses itself, but even the women that want that attention, it's like, it should be on their terms. Exactly. So there, there's some problematic female yeah. characters that like harley quinn for example who i love but anyway i i oh there's my dog screaming again amazing it's okay i was gonna say
0: about like how like these satanic panics like no. QAnon, and you know looking at rosemary's baby in the context of the 60s in 1968 oh, these panics and fears often arise in this like response to huge societal upheaval yes like the you know with rosemary's baby like this is like the height of the time of like the hippies and then Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who see like the manson murders like ended the the 60 and like the end of the innocence of the hippie movement because everyone's like oh and the hippies are so nice and fun and then suddenly these Mm -hmm. were like hippies killing people right you know and they were using like manson told his disciples like i'll put up some witchy shit on the walls and like they wrote stuff and blood but like the whole point of what and but the thing we also forget to address with manson also also and with the satanic panic but especially with kunon is the racial element like manson was a raging racist oh god he was he wanted excuse me i'm just gonna (laughs) the whole point of the murders was he believed he would start. That. He he was he wanted that race war. Yeah, he was going to start a race war called Helter Skelter because he it was based on a Beatles song. And it was all tied in with pop culture for
1: him, too. Exactly. Well, he, so... he just wanted to be a musician. And, and when then... it wasn't working for him, he just f- took his whole thing mm-hmm. where he had this harem of girls because he apparently was a bit of a charmer in that way. And he just turned it into this other stuff. But he was so angry That he wasn't accepted as a musician.
0: Yeah, and he went to the house of the producer that turned him down to kill him. But Mm -hmm. he wasn't living in that house anymore. That's where Sharon Tate was living. So he didn't even mean to kill those people. And then the La Bianca murders were because he's like, well, if we kill if if we kill some other people, right? It was somebody else, and yeah, it was it was horrible and just so pointless oh um, it, it was and, it, it, yeah, and it's yeah we have inter- to talk but we, we people often forget how freaking racist Charles Benson is. oh no
1: completely yeah but what i was going to say though was there was also and then of course there's once upon a time in hollywood but there was this great series that only had like a season and a half unfortunately got canceled before the second before the third season could be renewed so they and the second season was cut short it was called aquarius
0: oh uh, i think i, I think and i it, recall this but yeah, it
1: starred david Duchovny as this detective who was investigating uh, a teenage girl that kind of went missing as she ran away and she joined this cult. And it's the Manson family. Yeah. And they take some liberties with the story, you know, but it's really well done. And it really kind of captures the zeitgeist. But they, the reason I brought it up was they really delve into, uh, you know, the racial tension of the times. Yeah. And how the Manson family was, was, you know, um, very much involved in that
0: yeah i'm my salty you know film opinion is like once upon a time in hollywood i think it was fine i just think it needed the manson stuff <laughs> i think it would have been a better more interesting like a better movie without all that it would have been shorter so that would well, we just
1: just learned that there's apparently a 20 hour i thought that was 20 a hours 20 hours of fool's joke time. i'm like it
0: can't this can't be real this isn't oh God, no, it's all it's 15, 15 hours of people's feet.
1: Yeah, that's what yeah, it is. I I would like to see it. I mean, if they turned it into mm-hmm. a series, it would be kind of cool or some kind of like mm-hmm. special thing you could buy. I would watch it. Um, yeah. I personally would love to have seen more about the Manson stuff, but I also would have liked to see more about Rosemary's Baby.
0: Yeah, they don't really go into it. It's like, not even mentioned. They really know? kind of avoid the Polanski of it all they in do. that movie, which I mean, I can't blame them uh, because it's like yeah, it is it's problematic it's problematic you know we're talking about how this movie is about believing women and it's with mia Farrow, who is so Mm -hmm. who is right now continues to be so tied in with the legacy of woody allen and that's about the allen versus pharaoh just came out again we should believe victims
1: well this way i think that they're they're focused they're not really focused on real people unless they're dead yeah like you know they they could feature sharon tate because she's dead and they just have, you know, um, Polanski's just appears very briefly, or someone like, um, you know, some of the actors, like uh, uh, Steve McQueen, or, you know, whoever, and then the the other victims, but, um, so I understand that they don't want to get into any sort of dodgy Mm -hmm. area there, but, um, yeah, it it was very interesting, though.
0: Yeah, but Rosemary's Baby, you know, it's a very interesting movie, just in terms of its, like, place, and, like, though in oh, just horror filmmaking because like you said it's not a s- gory movie it's no. not a it's a tense it's a, it's a tense movie and it kind of almost like it sets up you know it's you know it's hitchcockian it's mm-hmm. got that same kind of sense like what the scariest thing is an unopened door right like this the fear comes from what you don't know and that kind of fear feeds into what we're talking about like the fear of the satanic panic is the same fear of like those people who thought they saw the baby and rosemary's baby it's they're scared of something that isn't there that they didn't see but it's in their imagination that's even scary yes
1: yes and then of course the legacy of this film is that it you know it catapulted our nation into this huge phenomenon where people were fearing something that wasn't real yeah you know and now we're back there again now yeah. with q and on this whole the pizzagate thing i gotta remember when yeah. that happened like
0: it was like okay. before the 2016 and like yeah it's all that it's you know the same
1: song different key barely yeah. but. It, ju- it just makes you wonder it, it's sort of like what is it that makes people believe things mm-hmm. you know like the buy into it like you saw it on the internet and therefore it's true and then, or maybe you look into it and then you just, there's all this, it's just constant confirmation bias.
0: Yeah.
1: And, but, I mean, but, um, when I taught media studies, there was this sort of phenomenon that we used to talk about, which was, um, audience fragmentation. And it's what happens when a media channel, be it a, a site on the internet or a network on TV or a newspaper or a magazine, whatever, and when it tries to um, make sure that the people that keep consuming it, are people that are getting what they want from it. So, so basically what happens is you get people that, um, you know, like someone who drives a Subaru, who also shops at Target, who also, I don't know, like whatever, all these things. So, so, so the reason they're collecting all this demographic information on us all over the internet, every time we buy something, mm-hmm. find out what we want and try to give us what we want so we'll buy more things. But part of what's going on is when we also consume things like news or entertainment, we are shown advertising based on all that demographic information. And part of that demographic information is our so-called political or social views of things. So that's why when, you know, people make a joke like, Oh, that person watches too much Fox news, you know, or that person watches too much Rachel Maddow or like whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you're accusing them of being. No such
0: thing as too much Rachel
1: Maddow. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I love her. So, but that's the thing is like, But we know what we mean when we say that, like, oh, you watch too much Fox News or you or you read too much of uh, whatever newspaper and magazine. And so because those particular media products confirm what we're trying to tell ourselves about the world we live in. And that's why people like they don't listen to anything else, you know, and there, there was I remember, um early on in the pandemic, I was in the grocery store and I, uh, you know, as as you are, and I ran into this dude who's not wearing a mask, even though there's a sign on the door and like it's a big grocery store. And I kept running into this guy in the store. And finally, when we got to the checkout and he was right in front of me, I just could not handle it anymore. And I just started yelling at him. And I thought, Mm -hmm. this is, if this is it, if I get thrown out or arrested, fine, I don't care. And I was yelling at him. And then when I got done, you know, with my little rant, the the, the two checkout people, the guy bagging and the young woman at the cashier kind of turned to me and go, they thank you. But before that happened, before he left, he said something to me like, Well, you just believe everything you see on television. And I was mm. like, You've got to be kidding me. You believe everything yeah. you see on like fortune. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Why you think there's not a pandemic because of whatever you're watching on television, apparently. But what I'm watching on television is you know, refrigerator trucks that are set up as temporary morgues in New York City because they don't have room for the bodies. I mean, like, what do you so, so that's the thing I think that um, and just to bring it, you know, to the this into the pandemic, we've seen this really interesting denial around that. And also the whole, you know, because the whole anti vaccine movement, which has been with us since before the pandemic, which is um, this idea that people want to buy into something that confirms the world they want to live in, you know, Mm -hmm. and whether it conforms with the truth or not, whether it conforms with science or not. And the idea that we've got all these things converging at the exact same time, we got a pandemic that a lot, the denial of which has led to much higher death rates than it should have. And this sort of disrespect for you know, has also led to behavior that has made the death rates much higher than they should have been. We see a lot of inequity in terms of what communities are worse affected by it, Mm -hmm. in terms of their, you know, people's uh, race and their location and their socioeconomic situation and their access, their social and political clout, etc. So we've got all that happening at the same time that we just got through this presidency, with this just absolutely unprecedented amount of just, you know, this, this, the, you know white supremacy just being you know just baldly mm-hmm. just like blatantly thrown around every single day in its policies in its rhetoric you know and, and misogyny thrown around every day in its policies and its rhetoric now huh? we've got this scandal with Matt Gates now who turns out to be a sex trafficker what a shocker Matt Gates but I know shocker that he's yeah. a misogynistic asshole <laughs> who would have so, thought
0: Matt Gates was a creep Oh, my God. Really?
1: And I th- With a well, face okay. like that? <laughs> oh, God, he's so horrible. But the thing is, I hope, I think everyone hopes in some, every reasonable person hopes that in some way the chickens will all come home to roost. And these people that we know are crooks and killers and perverts and rapists and all that, that they will get what's coming to them and they will get justice. But we've all seen in America that justice does not always happen. And justice also, mm-hmm. you know, the wheel turns very slowly. So. Meanwhile, we're struggling with people all around us who, again, are heavily armed and delusional, who believe that Lil Naz is Satan incarnate. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> because it's and, not Trump. No, it's
0: a rapper. Of course, it's not the actual. Well, like, that's or, the hmm.
1: thing. It, you know, there's the racist thing. There's this yes. homophobia around it. Yeah, there's and, like. Yeah. there's so many
0: layers to what the response to Lil Nas because it is like it's homophobia and there's racism yeah. and there is you know satanic panic and he is using all of that in really yeah. interesting ways like and right. he, what he, what he did with this video was like it's very much like the satan shoes and everything it's like it's oh, a calculated it. yeah. and he's doing it right. like he is playing us like mm-hmm. he's a virtuoso of yeah. media well, and, so, I, and I love it
1: I think it's really entertaining as well. And I love and I think he's such a great artist and such a style icon and all the fashion aspect, I think is fascinating. But the thing for me is that so we can be our sophisticated, educated selves and say, oh, like you were just saying, he's he's using this in a very calculated Mm -hmm. way. And it's it's part of his brand. And that's all great. And it's going to sell. He's going to sell records and he's going to sell shoes and he's going to sell, you know, his everything and get lots of followers on social media, which is its own sort of brand of commerce these days. But at the same time, there really is a a really large percentage of our population who really thinks there's a problem with what he's doing, who really thinks he's evil or who really, you know, evil because he's making fun of the devil or evil because he's gay or evil because he's black or evil because he's a rapper, whatever. They're going to find a reason to hate him.
0: Yeah.
1: And these are the people that worry me because there's no reaching them.
0: Yeah. They don't know they're the butt of the joke.
1: Right. Like, and there are right. people
0: who like, you know, they're the men who if the woman laughs at them, they're going to shoot him. Yeah. And so it's like, do we live in fear of those people or do we continue to mock them? And it's, it's a decision for everyone to make, but it is very much
1: right. frightening
0: right now. That's that a very good take-
1: point. I, it is easy yeah. to laugh at them, but increasingly I think we, I think January 6th was, not like we needed an epiphany, but that was a huge epiphany to see what these people were actually capable of in large numbers. And the fact that the lack of preparation and the lack of response mm-hmm. to that was yeah. so horrifying. Not just what they did. I think we, mm-hmm. I was expecting it. They kept advertising yeah. it all over Twitter. I yeah. mean, it was there. Like They only and- failed because they were really bad at it. Right. And it could have been so much worse and it was already really bad. And then the fact that nobody seemed to really be doing anything that day about it. And now in the wake of it, of course, there's the FBI and there's the police and they're going after people and they're hopefully they're all going to go to jail for sedition and all the terrible things they did. But that seems to me um, that was a turning point, not just because of what happened and what these people got away with and whatever, and the fact that there's sort of being um, there's some effort being made to apprehend them. But I think that was sort of like a wake up call. Like, wow, what would happen if they actually had their shit together and yeah. it was organized? You
0: know, what happens? What happens next time when there's a competent person?
1: Right, like, like actually running it. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Um, terrifying. So, and, and, and That's the thing is way that- scarier than Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> Right. And, and we just saw like, so the got today at the Capitol, you know, the, a guy that, you know, ran over some police and killed somebody. And yeah. then, you know, you've got these, again, back to those guys that were threatening Governor Whitmer, they were going to kidnap her and do whatever, you know, um, it just takes one crazy person to convince some other crazy people that they should do these crazy things. And yeah. I think that we're in this, there's this weird maelstrom that lives just outside of our you know white liberal existence I whatever you want to call it that but like it's because we're two like white liberal women here mm-hmm. talking but I try very hard to to pay attention to all this all the stories and everything that's happening and try to put myself in the position of someone who literally lives, lives in fear every day that they might be yeah. uh, brutalized because of the color of their skin because of where they live because of the situation they find themselves in I mean certainly as a woman we both you know we both Uh, I probably experienced that uh, on a pretty frequent basis too, but um, but, I mean, bringing it back to the witchcraft question though, it's, it's, again, it's like, you can't, you cannot, you can't do anything about the fact that people are going to fear you or hate you just for what you are. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what's to be done about that. I don't have an answer for that. I kind of think like, if we, if we look to Lil Nas X for an example, it's like, be everything you are in all your glory yeah that's sort of the only choice that you have
0: and I think that like uh, like from a perspective of like practice of actual witchcraft I think that you know that's what it being a witch and and owning that you're a witch and accepting witchcraft kind of tells you like okay everyone's going to fear me anyway everyone's already telling me I'm going to hell Mm -hmm. why not you know better to reign in hell than serve in heaven is sort of what it's like all right you think I'm a witch all right I'm turning you into a toad, fucker. Like, (laughs) sadly, have not perfected that spell yet. I know, right? It is like, okay, well, everyone's afraid of me for having this power. Maybe I do have power. What's going to happen when I tap into that? And so, But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, finally to kind of wrap it up, like just, you know, you're you're talking about the horror of living through the Trump administration Mm -hmm. and the world we're in now. It's the same horror of Rosemary's Baby, is that the people that the dangerous people are the ones in charge yeah they're your old white neighbors right the people that are supposed to take and
1: care of us the police the yeah. politicians the, the doctors, doctors yeah the pharmacists and that's who won't fill our prescriptions for birth yeah. control
0: you yeah. know yeah. even though Roman is a piece of shit um rosemary <laughs> rosemary's berry is still an interesting and of- you know, very relevant movie. Agreed.
1: I mean, and you know, maybe that—that's a conversation for another day. Is how do we separate works of art from the uh, oh, yeah. flawed artists who uh,
0: create oh, yeah. them? yeah, That is
1: a that's a whole I mean, that's a struggle. Like, Harry Potter. Mm. Yep, Harry Potter. <laughs> all Woody Allen, you know, Woody decades, so and decades
0: of films I moved, there. I, you know, I did my thesis on Richard Wagner.
1: What a piece of shit ah, that guy was! Right, <laughs> but beautiful right. music. So, well, you know, and Marion Zimmer Bradley, and like we could go oh, on God, and on. There yeah, are all these people whole... that we find out later on that these are uh, yeah. terrible people whose books or films or whatever, music or whatever we um, uh, we love. Yeah. So,
0: so that's the whole thing. But. So for people um, on the internet who are listening, where can we find you and your work? You mentioned um, mediawitch.com is your mm-hmm. website, but you're also on Twitter and you also you write for all sorts of places like I've seen your writing all over.
1: I do. Um, well, my my Twitter handle is The Media Witch. I also have a, a Twitter account called Witches Wear Daily, <laughs> which is just kind of like go witchy find, fashion. It's kind of fun. Yeah, you, know, you should check it out. <laughs> it's at it's a Witches. W-E-A-R, mm-hmm. witches. I have my. which is weird daily which um and then right now i uh my book uh, which is uh, the working title is the witching hour um mm-hmm. which hopefully will be finished and coming out sometime in the next year so i'm on instagram at the witching hour is nigh but there's not that much there i do a lot of film reviews for the arts fuse and i and pretty much everything that i publish that has to do with uh witchcraft or the occult in media i will link to my twitter um yeah account so if you check that out
0: so yeah and so this episode i think will be out on the 9th of april wow. so for you people listening on the 9th of april i just want to recommend to you and to anyone else listening in two weeks from now shadow and bone is coming out on netflix <gasps> what? and um i've been i can't tell I, the embargo is still there but i've watched the first four episodes i'm really excited for witches to see this everyone to see the show
1: oh my god I the, have to see that I didn't know uh, it was coming that soon
0: yeah April 23rd or 22nd oh um, my goodness no spoilers just saying it's real good Ben Barnes real good <laughs> oh my god but there's all sorts of fun witchy stuff that we'll hopefully maybe oh, we'll have an episode cool. on that with someone but it's real fun but thank you so much it's been a Absolutely. fascinating conversation and I'm yes. um, looking forward to your book and hopefully having you back to talk about some other, oh. what
1: else? Uh, oh, I'd love to. There's yeah. so many things out yeah, so there. So many. Uh, we can talk
0: about Motherland Fort Salem because that's a whole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, I don't know when, I think their se- second season got delayed of COVID, yeah, like because of COVID. Yeah, because COVID.
1: Because I think a, they, they I finished about it. a year ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I kept thinking it was going to come out. There's There yeah. are some other witchy things kind of coming down the pike, but I do want to recommend um There was a documentary that premiered at South by Southwest that's probably going to maybe be at some other online mm-hmm. festivals. It's called woodlands dark and days bewitched yeah history of folk folk horror horror. yeah it's a three hour long documentary that's like a breezy little walk through the park i mean you just it's it's amazing it it flies by because there's so much in it that's so fascinating and there's there's a whole segment on witchcraft and paganism which of course is throughout folk horror and um it's it's by a a a filmmaker her name is uh uh kirla janice and it's it's her debut film and she also uh, has written a great book called house of psychotic women about neuroses and women in the horror film Uh, yeah no the rights right (laughs) up your alley so you should check it out um check it out but yeah i I really appreciate this conversation it was a lot of fun and i would definitely love to come back and talk about any any witchy movies or tv shows or anything i know we got a little political today because i think it's just been a rough yeah i think a rough time
0: i think you can't (laughs) call yourself a witch and not Embrace the political aspect of oh, that. When you're identifying yeah. with, you know, people who were burned for who they are and hung and persecuted, you have to own that. And I think being a witch means being aware and supporting social justice and mm-hmm. supporting the fighting against climate. Like if you worship the earth, you have to fight against climate change. Yes. If you mm-hmm. call yourself a witch, you have to fight for the rights of women and marginalized people. So that's yes. my. I don't, I, if that's controversial, sorry.
1: <laughs> Hells yeah. I completely, completely support what you just said. And I feel well, the same way.
0: Well, thank you so much.
1: My pleasure.
0: And there we go. That was our conversation with Pigloy about Rosemary's Baby. I thought it was a great conversation. I know we ran a bit long and had some canine uh, interjections there, but that's life in the podcasting world. But if you enjoy the podcast, please tell everyone you know about it. Tell them to listen. Leave us a review. I promise I will read it if it's a nice one. I mean, even if it's mean, we I mean, probably will read it. Um, and then... Follow us on Twitter at RealMagicPod. Follow me on Twitter at Jess. You can find my writing on the Mary Sue or all over the web. And otherwise, have a great April. We'll see you back in two weeks for another witchy show. And remember, when your creepy old neighbor gives you something called a mouse, don't eat it. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, cruel Goodbye, world. Goodbye, cruel world. <laughs> Goodbye to life and my
1: Goodbye, 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 goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye to all the others. <laughs>